The Cloud Returns podcast covers all types of software investing, whether seed, venture capital, growth equity, private equity, debt, and even the public markets. So I'm happy to have Brian Parks from Bigfoot Capital on. He's got a background as an operator. He was actually CEO of Brandfolder, which had a very, very successful exit. Uh, he's gone out to create Bigfoot Capital, um, which is a non-venture debt lending firm. And I'll let him give more of a background on himself. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's been fun interacting over the uh, the interwebs, as we were saying earlier. So it's, it's nice to meet you. Um, yeah, so Bigfoot's, Bigfoot's been doing what we do for about six and a half years. We've funded you know 50-something B2B software, tech-enabled services businesses. A lot of that is subscription SaaS, but also some other business models there under. Uh, as you mentioned prior to that was kind of an early stage, so to speak, operator in a number of seats to include kind of the founding CEO of, of Brandfolder. Uh, and prior to that was a M&A banker in the lower middle market. So I've spent most of my 20-ish year career at this point in um, small companies of, of various shapes, sizes, sorts. Um, in the last six and a half uh, as a capital provider directly to you know, relatively small companies in the grand scheme of things that, that execute a, a software-driven business model. Nice, nice. And on that topic, what is the access to capital environment like right now? It's an interesting one. Um, that is certainly not that helpful of a statement. But um, as we were talking about, one of the things I'm doing right now is kind of digesting the data from our second annual um, capital provider survey, gauging things such as sentiment, how's everyone feeling, uh, how has that changed from the way folks were feeling 12 months ago? Hey, 12 months ago, you told us your investment activity may look like this. What did it actually look like? What's it going to look like next 12 months? Um, and so it's a blend of kind of quantitative data and qualitative across equity uh, and uh, debt providers, really kind of 60 of them, so 60 individual data points. So not a massive sampling, but hopefully somewhat meaningful. Um, and so, so there's that, and that's going to come out in the next week or two as we just wrap it up. Um, and uh, let me let me speak, I guess, in addition to that, I'd say one thing that we continue to see happen in our segment, which are two to $15 million kind of top line B2B software companies, you know, really kind of centralizing around, you know, call it four to seven and eight, is that, um, you know, capital still flows uh, to those types of businesses and assets. Now, not necessarily to all of them, uh, of course, but we see various, you know, debt, venture, um, even private equity and strategics still, I think of how the kind of payoff activity that we've seen, even within our portfolio over the last 15, 18 months, it's, it's continued to be a mix of all of those. So I think that while things have slowed down, while things have gotten less crazy, while valuations have compressed, while leverage has receded and pricing has increased, you know, all those things, money's still moving. And I think looking at the initial kind of cut of the survey results, that continues to be the expectation. It's kind of two thirds of equity investors and lenders expect to be more active over the next 12 months. Now that's not necessarily dissimilar from what we saw 12 months ago. So it's, does that expectation that they have meet the reality and the deployment? And so I think it, it probably got like two thirds there over the last 12 months, but you know, it's even things like, Hey, you know, if we hit a floor with banks and they're, you know, what's going on there, um, and are they going to start being more active off of that floor? I kind of think so. And even just in a lunch with four bankers over the past couple of weeks, and feels like there's activity um, on the lending side of things within these banks. 
And have you noticed any disconnects after Silicon Valley Bank failed? I'm not sure it's disconnects. So what's it been? Four months? I think yeah. there was, I mean, it's not that if we remember when COVID first came online, um, it felt like there was like a four week pause of digestion of that, uh, which of course we'd lived through much longer than four weeks, but, um, and then things just started going. Now that got manic, I would say. So I don't think it's going to be that necessarily, but I think there's still activity happening now, but you have to segment that pretty broadly of, you know, if we're just focused on tech, okay, who are the banks doing tech lending beyond SVB, beyond signature, you know, first citizens is still active with SVB under their banner. Signature is now part of customers bank, that tech team. Um, you got bridge still doing their thing. Pack West is actually active in a different format than I had previously seen them, which I found a bit surprising. You know, and then there's other banks that people have never heard of also directly lending to software companies, even if it's not in volume, non-bank lenders also saying that they're going to be more active. We've seen more activity. You know, we're a non-bank lender as well. Seen more activity in that in the market. Um, it's still there. It's just that there's a new normal in terms of pricing and leverage and even covenant packages and just structure um, like there is an equity. And then on the equity side, you know, it's funny. Equity investors are optimists as, you know, as they're meant to be. And um, they think they're going to be really active. I, I just think, you know, everyone out there in the capital markets, there's the concept of dry powder, which I don't get too caught up in, but, you know, deal makers want to do deals. And if the institutions under which they operate also want to do deals reasonably, deals will probably get done. It's just, what do they look like? And have you seen any like pick up in terms of like unique financings coming your way because I can imagine with some of these disruptions, all of a sudden you kind of get a different inbound flow to a firm like yours um, that might this be This is another, and that's, I'm glad you asked that because I rambled off of your, hey, did you see anything on the kind of right on the heels of SVB? I'd say that we and others that I've spoken with and, you know, folks that we know that are peers of ours, competitors of ours, non-banks and banks, um, yeah, I felt like there was maybe an initial wave of that type of stuff. Oh, SVB is my bank. Oh, Signature is my bank. Oh, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of inbound coming through that. I feel like that has started, that has receded. And I don't think any of us maybe feel like we felt, felt the deluge that others not in this business may have expected we would feel. So it's kind of like, well, where are the companies? Um, you know, and are, are, are they just kind of hanging out? Did they, did they have enough runway? Are they, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of an un, unanswered question because I think every lender out there is feeling it um, of, yeah, we expected a good chunk of volume from that, but, and we got some volume, but maybe not as much as we expected, um, which could also lead to underperformance relative to the deployment expectations as, you know, some of the things we're seeing in our survey, but TBD, I think, you know, what we've been seeing in the market for a number of months, um, probably even predating SVB it's just, you know, and I've written about this, I'm like, I'm not sure how much actual venture debt activity is happening because of the receding of venture equity raises, right? Which are directly coupled. Um, that doesn't mean, yeah, some venture debt deals are getting done because equity raises are getting done. Some of them, not the volume it was, and you can see that in the data, but um, other, so what other types of financings are, get, are getting done? We're a non-venture debt lender, as you mentioned, um, just to say that we don't, you know, our capital doesn't come in. I don't think it ever has directly alongside a venture equity raise. Um, and we just underwrite differently as well. But um, a lot of refi activity, that's what it is, right? So you say, 
where are we in the capital deployment and lending cycle? You know, a lot of lenders had a lot of activity as the equity investors, um, you know, 2021 into through pretty much through 2022 with a you know decline in the second half of 2022. So a lot of those companies that took those loans dependent upon the structure, of course, but a lot of that stuff starting to amortize and, you know, as companies have to actually repay the loans, not just the interest on the loans, it starts to bite, you know, a bit harder. So understandably companies are interested in not having that be the case. The incumbent lender oftentimes who has a portfolio can only do so much. You can't say yes to everyone. You can't just kick out principal payments all the time. Probably not really lending if you're doing that. So there's just a lot of that like trading of lenders going on in the market, I feel like, which is different than equity investors. You don't trade equity investors in and out, right? You got to find new ones uh, once your existing ones are tapped out. And that's obviously been quite challenging for a lot of companies. For sure. And then I always like to cover something tactical. And then there's always all of these, you know, self-taught founders out there, like literally figuring this stuff out by themselves. And 95% of the industry does not have venture capital, right? But let's say you're interested in getting a loan from Bigfoot Capital, raising additional debt capital to, you know, grow your business. Like what are the table stakes, right? Like in how would you go about raising money if you are a non-venture backed software founder, right? Like how long does it take? What do you need in place? Do you need a data room? Like, is it relationship driven? Do you run a process and talk to 10 versions of Bigfoot? Yeah, I think all the, the last three things you mentioned are good things, generally speaking, when forming capital. So you should think of it as a process, of course. What, how are you going to show up uh, adequately prepared, right? You know, any capital provider, be it equity or debt, I don't want to use the word skepticism necessarily, but it's their job and responsibility to vet companies thoroughly. Um, so put yourself in a position to excel at that, right? Remove risks throughout the process. Again, it is a process. Um, understand kind of each lender um, themselves and try to, you know, understand the broader uh, market as well. So it's a, you know, it's a full on act that I think, yes, it takes some time, it takes some commitment, but you want to show up prepared. Um, that's how I view it. And, you know, and, and think that it's going to take some time, right? It's not going to take TBD, how long it takes, but that also is dependent upon how you show up, how healthy is your company? What is your ask? What kind of plan are you looking to execute, right? How much capital does that require? All of those things. So show up with a plan, you know, test the market, have conversations um, and expect that it'll take some amount of time and effort to get done. Okay. And like some amount, like six months? Three no, months. I mean, yeah, maybe three, I would ballpark three. Cause I think you're going to learn within that process as an operator. Um, you'll probably hear it more than once from more folks that something is missing in your data room. If you have a data, you don't have a data room. Why don't you start a data room? You know? Um, oh, I feel like I've answered this thing three times already. And I'm probably gonna have to answer it another three times. If I'm having a number of conversations, I should probably, you know, institutionalize that, so to speak um, on my end as the operator. So I think it's just, especially if you've never done it, right. It's a, um, it's a learning process. It doesn't have to be overly cumbersome. I think my thing is embrace it, right? You know, Bigfoot Capital, unfortunately, is not all my own capital, of course. Um, so, you know, I think what I've always tried to do is understand how we show up to folks that I'm pitching to, to have capital to allocate to the types of companies we work with. And um, 
you know, show up as strong as we can while realizing that, you know, we haven't been doing this for 30 years. You know, we, where are we weak or where are we perceived as possibly weak and risky? And how can I cut through that, right? By showing up the best I can as an operator. Yes. Like you touched on a little it builds bit. builds trust, like, right? It yeah. shows who your counterparty is going to be and how they may operate in a go forward relationship um, rather than just being kind of blase about things. For sure. For sure. And I know we touched on it a little bit, but like, could we go through Bigfoot's like kind of core investment criteria, like loan size, typical yeah. revenue size, all all of the basics, so someone can kind of get a handle on like, am I at a stage where like debt capital is possible for me? Yeah, yeah. So for us, we're kind of squarely in the one to five million dollar facility size, and so for us, you know, our product structure is pretty straightforward. I think we'll size a facility, we'll give a company twelve months generally to access capital under that facility, in a handful of kind of draws. We don't want you taking money monthly; it doesn't feel very strategic. But you know, understand that throughout a year, and that comes back to the plan. Hey, what is the what is the plan? How's performance going to that plan? And you know, if things aren't going to plan, it's not necessarily the right answer to borrow more because it comes at a cost. So um, one to five million, two to two to fifteen million type um, top line B two B software tech enabled services businesses, and, and we'll come in. We don't have to put in a million day one, um, so we could put in half a million um, on a slightly larger facility. Now growth will likely have to occur to unlock the rest of that facility, but. Um, you know, most of the companies, historically speaking, at entry, uh, when we enter with our capital, have been cash burning. And, you know, it's just maybe that changes <laughs> from the way it has been in our six and a half years of, of operating. But it's just, you know, not companies haven't been optimizing for that, let's just say. Should they optimize and orient more so for that than they have in the past? Probably. Uh, and I think you know, there's been a lot said about that, obviously, in, in the markets over the past year and a half. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're very easy to, to find and talk to and approach and spend 20 minutes determining if it could be a fit that justifies kind of taking an initial look and running our process, or if not, and where we may be able to point someone. Great. And then like in terms of cash flow, in yeah. sense, would be moderately cash flow negative. Um, reasonably cash flow negative, right? So, you know, again, so we're going to, the three buckets, fundamentally speaking, that we can, let's just say, run models on um, revenue, operating efficiency, and then kind of capital resourcing. So revenue is going to be how much is there? What's the quality of it? Is there concentration? You know, what are all the, you know, and you can apply uh, SaaS revenue quality metrics to that. Um, operating efficiency is, you know, how's this thing running from a, beyond the revenue from a pure PL standpoint and pairs with the capitalization. How are you showing up? You're showing up bootstrapped. Have you raised $30 million and you're doing $2 million in revenue? It's probably pretty hard for us to think you're going to flip to something very efficient. And there's a big pref stack to clear there. That's going to make it challenging to, you know, is really reduced your optionality, unfortunately. So it's just kind of trying to understand the whole, the whole story and then it's looking forward of, okay, well, where are you trying to take this thing? How much capital do you think that requires? What's it being deployed into? Are we the only ones? Is there other capital coming in? If so, when do you think that's happening? <laughs> you know, and, and that gets back to relationship. It, it does take a willing counterparty who wants to engage with that process and understands that, hey, look, we're trying to have something that is, um, you know, somewhat at least medium term lasting in terms of our relationship and, and scalable, right? If we grow you from one to, 
two and a half to four to five in terms of capital deployment over uh, a course of a few years. You know, that's what we're really trying to do. We're not just trying to book a loan and move on and book the next loan and book the next loan um, in some volume driven format. For sure. And two other ones, because someone might be able to triangulate it, might not, like kind of as a multiple of revenue. Yeah. What are you lending? So we're kind of, we're in the three to six X MRR. Um, and when I say MRR, you know, I, I really mean monthly revenue because there could be, yep. you know, could monetize it various ways and we'll give credit to something that at least feels recurring or reoccurring, but kind of three to six. So, you know, quarter turn to half turn on annual revenue is where we've historically operated, which is, you know, certainly beneath some in the market, but that's where we are. That's where we're comfortable. And it comes back to, um, I haven't said this specifically yet, but definitely don't want to overlever companies. We think that's very dangerous, especially, you know, for companies that are still relatively small at the end of the day on the revenue side and not generating material cash flow. That's just dangerous. And it reduces the optionality. Like I was saying earlier, if you show up having raised 30 million bucks and you're at 3 million in revenue, it's tough to exit that situation in a good way or, you know, economically positive way for stakeholders. So, you know, we never want our debt to reduce optionality. Yes, we think it should drive some operational discipline, which we think, again, is kind of a net healthy for, for businesses. Um, but, you know, I didn't touch on that point earlier either. One of the other things we've seen in the market and, you know, talking with lenders like us is there's companies out there that if they showed up, that may have been overlevered right over the past couple of years and they show up over levered. It makes it really hard for some other lender who may be interested in the business and like the holistic story to do anything other than potentially a straight refi, which doesn't really do much necessarily for the company. So I think there's a lot of learnings there um, possibly on the operator side that, you know, more is not always better just because you can get it because it can, can put you in a tough spot. And are these like over levered companies coming out of like, lower middle market private equity or just like venture funding that just kind of underperformed plan. So you kind of fell into being over levered as opposed yeah. to strategically over levered. I think it's probably, yeah, a mix of both. You know, I'd say we see directly less of the former of, you know, highly levered companies that, you know, private equity firm bought in an LBO format or something. I think there's probably plenty of those. Um, it's just not in our deal flow. We're probably a little bit beneath that where we play yeah. um, more so private equity is going to be taking companies out of our portfolio that reach yep. a certain scale. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the venture debt aspect is, is part of it for sure. You know, that next round that was meant to happen didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, maybe a decent chunk of, of debt was put on the business, um, you know, thinking that would happen. Uh, valuations have obviously gone through what they've gone through. I think there's that. And then, you know, even in the non-venture debt world, there's other types of capital, you know, folks that do what we do, fintechs that have come online over the past few years, um, what have you, where companies just show up and you look at the balance sheet and it's like, that's just, unfortunately, we can't do anything. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. It's, there's so many dynamics and I'm sure you guys see a pretty wild mix of companies at times, right, with the scope you cover. Um and then that kind of transitions to a similar question. And I've seen it in your takes on LinkedIn and in other mediums was that in general, you find a lot of people are frivolous with equity. 
Yeah. Could you kind of elaborate on that and expound on being frivolous with equity? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, my uh, pre-qualifier there is I'm not anti the selling of equity in the life cycle of a company, right? And so it comes back to that, well, what I, I'm anti-frivolity with equity. So it's kind of, you know, and of course, even as a lender, we want folks to show up who really cherish, so to speak, their equity, you know, in a reasonable manner. There are times and places and within a company's life cycle to, to sell equity in service of some future outcome or, you know, growth profile. But I think, you know, the counter of that is just the megaphone that um, VC, VC has had um, on arguably potentially impressionable, less educated, less experienced operators, um, Twitter, TechCrunch, all of this is just a big echo chamber that led a lot of people over the past you know, decade, probably, not even just the last three years to go, you know, one, they had the ability, sometimes unwarranted or unjustified, as we'll as we're seeing in the market, to go raise that equity and sell it. And that was a ring the bell, celebrate that. And sometimes it should be a ring the bell, celebrate that as a real company milestone. But I think it was just a, you know, too much of a North star um, and a hallmark of success to go sell equity. That's it. Uh, you know, it's as simple as that. So it's uh, because it's the, um, I think it's not wholesale bad, but it's, you know, I just, folks should recognize what, game they're playing, so to speak, what game their counterparty is playing, what, you know, expectations there are on both sides, um, what limitations it may put on a company. Of course, there can be great opportunity, but, you know, I think as an operator, you're kind of, this is your thing. This is your one thing, hopefully, you know, as an investor, it's, you know, if you got a fund, of course you care about that fund and that family of funds, but you've got multiple investments under that fund. So there's just a big disparity there in terms of, Hey, some of these will work out. Some of these won't work out for the investor, the operator. I really need this to work out. <laughs> so, for sure, know. for sure. And that kind of transitions into a, an, another part, right? Because so much of deciding debt, equity, everything is kind of like, well, what's the opportunity in front of you? You know, the market opportunity, competition, and all of that. We just had Bowery Capital on, kind of asking them to make the case for, you know, you're a talented entrepreneur. You could bootstrap in this niche, or you could raise some, you know, seed, pre-seed, early stage VC to attack the market opportunity. And so my pattern recognition there was like informed by my own private equity experiences and, you know, meeting with a ton, ton of niche software companies, right, who had started at the right time and call it 2004, 2003, and were sitting on this like great economic outcome. Right. Like they owned their little category and whole wave of private equity firms, people like me showing up to their doorstep, wanting to buy them. Mm-hmm. And when we were on with Bowery, it was pretty clear to me that, you know, over time, the landscape has changed so much that now you're going to have VCs attacking small TAMs and going after everything, right? Just the way capital has diffused in the venture system. And so like with that in mind, you know, are you seeing anything in like your portfolio or things where like categories that were typically bootstrapped, you're now seeing, you know, more venture capital enter and that's changing, you know, someone's being frivolous with equity decision? Great question. I know you kind of clued me into this you know, prior to us hopping on here and I 
I wrote you back something yeah, yeah, quite for rapidly, sure, for sure. which I'm failing to totally remember what I wrote back to you, uh, as is normal for me. So I think um, I wouldn't say that I can directly point to vertical, you know, verticalized software within our portfolio that has seen some, you know, recent massive influx of venture capital. I believe in the theme that you just, you know, conveyed, but I, I just... And I think probably what I wrote to you was, yeah, you know, okay, that's fine. Probably a lot of good opportunities to go and try to fund a winner in a, you know, niche vertical software um, space, right? So VCs want to fund winners, right? Uh, market takers, you know, market owners. So, but there can only be one of those at the end of the day, let's just say, um, especially in a small TAM. So, um, I don't know. It's, are you trying to be that, you know, maybe you feel like you're trying to be that. Maybe you're not trying to be that. Maybe you're trying to be bought by that. Maybe you're, you know, by that, by that winner. I just think it's such a founder operator driven. It's an operator driven question for me. It's kind of like, what are you really trying to do here? Right. I mean, what's your justification for, you know, if someone is pitching you to, um, to take their money and it's in a VC format. Do you understand what path that may put you on? Do you understand their expectations back to what we were saying earlier? Is that the path you're trying to be on? Is that the path you're trying to be on right now? Are you feeling market pressure because now you know three other companies have already been funded? If they've already been funded, are you gonna, you know, what's gonna make you be the one to pass them if you take that venture capital? You know, sometimes it's the tortoise in the hare a little bit, you know, if the tortoise can, survive and not get squashed and i think you give yourself potentially not to go too far into this uh analogy the opportunity to be the hare at some point right you can't go from being the hare to being the tortoise because that's not what you signed up for when you took the money um the venture money so perfect yeah all right oh it's worth asking what do you, no, what do you think yeah i mean it's just i, I just I, think it's so you know i kind of came from uh like started with a very distressed, structured background. I was a uh, first fund of Aries in the private equity group, right? And everything we did was like highly structured and just you're incredibly lean with capital, right? And so as I've moved through my career and got more exposure to growth and, you know, being liberal with capital and, you know, really going for it, right? But that, and when I was doing my investing in private equity with a partner, we bought two SaaS companies, right? The idea was always being like very, very lean with capital, right? And preserving that optionality. Yeah. And I would say, you know, all of these founders and CEOs I met, businesses we tried to buy, right? I had firsthand experience of like how they benefited from that optionality. Right. Right. That they were sitting there with a range of options, you know, nice SaaS business with five million of EBITDA, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could totally decide what they're going to do, right? And they, there was very few of those situations we encountered that had raised venture money in any form. Now, I, I don't know if there's anything to make from that, but my inclination has always been towards like the bootstrapper and the capital efficient. So that's I'm, heavily, I'm heavily biased that way too, right? So everything I just told you comes with a lot of bias, right? Um, you know, which is a large reason why I started Bigfoot in the format that we started it, right? Um, and just the, even the M&A deals I did at the beginning of my career were lower middle market M&A, not even with tech. So, you know, but I think those are really good outcomes if you can sell a business for while retaining a decent chunk of ownership for, 
you know, 25 to $100 million and have that be a good outcome. Um, yeah. Because right? you can do that and it's not a good outcome as well. If you have for sure capitalize it in a certain way. As you said, it gets back to the operator, right? Like if you are able to brace that pain of bootstrapping, right? Like a growing cloud ratings here and have plenty of resources, but we're doing it in a very lean way, right? Yep. And you're asking Asana for a coupon to get, you know, six free months and right. we're right. you know doing a lot of work on Upwork, right? And to someone who, you know, might have had a different career path, right? Like working with no resources just feels horrible, right? Like yep. they want a team, um, kind of a morale and excitement, a rate of progress that like bootstrapping doesn't always offer. Right. right? So, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, so we all have our biases. We all have our kind of swim lanes and own experience and comfort levels of, you know, how to operate a business and go about growing it. Um, but I think what's, I think over indexing to any of them wholesale and not recognizing, Hey, maybe I did it this way for a while, but maybe it's time to do it that way. Or maybe the market is going to dictate that I now do it that way. I think that's what we should all be attuned to. That's a good point. I don't know if you'd be willing to talk about this, but it's, I know you cross-referenced it a bit with like understanding your counterparty, understanding their motivations. And I would kind of like to understand like Bigfoot from like, kind of like a, if I were to be an investor in Bigfoot, like yeah. right? what I've heard is, you know, you're lending, you know, three to six times MRR, which 0.25 to 0.5 um, annual revenue, right? And a lot of data we've seen is that, you know, even for these lower middle market companies, they're worth four or five times revenue, right? right. So from like a credit support perspective, right? Like you're underwriting at an incredibly conservative basis, right? So I would think like this is a great lending lending market, right? If you're getting compensated in any way on the risk you're taking. Yeah, I mean, I'd say um, kind of six and a half years in, it's gone it's gone well, you know, as we've built the business, um, you know, alongside building our portfolio, right? So, and we've taken a very prudent bootstrappy path ourselves, right? And we are a, we're a company, we're a lending business. We're not a fund. We don't go and raise fund one, fund two, fund three, fund four. You know, what we're trying to do is um, run a nice, performant, efficient uh, lending business in our space. Um, keep doing that for, number of years and again back to optionality gives ourselves you know the, the thesis all along was you know hey there's gonna be a lot more of these b2b software companies some of which will raise venture capital but many 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 of which will not maybe over time and i think we're starting to see that now maybe many will choose not to um still many will choose to so how are they going to be funded beyond angel and venture money right venture debt was around for it's been around for a long time so you know it was that thesis of you know there's a growing tam there so to speak I still believe there is. And if you can figure out how to underwrite these things um, and really point yourself at, frankly, credit first and growth second, um, that's going to be something that's interesting to someone at some point. Someone with a bigger balance sheet, someone with more infrastructure that can plug you into some other origination engine um, and just say, go. So for us, that is kind of the take the long view, I guess is what I would say. So back to, you know, what is your What's your North Star? What are you indexing to? Um, and how does that shift? So even probably 
24 months ago, 36 months ago, we were more heavily oriented towards growth, right? In our own company life cycle, we had proven to a degree, hey, we can put money out and have it come back. We'd realized track record, which is quicker to realize in a you know, debt, um, in debt than it is in equity. So, okay, we've done that. Now, can we prove that we can do that with a little bit more pace and volume? And then we kind of proved that and then the market kind of went haywire. <laughs> like, okay, let's, uh, you know, back to our core. We still want to grow. We've proven we can grow. Um, but, you know, let's get some seasoning on this portfolio that's grown, right? And, you know, you got to manage a whole new kind of cohort, so to speak, of credits. Um, so, yeah, it's a, but, you know, the way I think about it, Matt, it is it, while you may sit there and say, hey, these assets can trade at four to five X and Bigfoot's lever and a quarter to half turn, I don't totally disagree. But I think in the broader world of folks that even we have to go raise money from, you know, they're sophisticated. Uh, and sophisticated credit people that may come from an ABL background or, you know, they're like hard tangible assets rather than a potentially theoretical enterprise value underwrite. There is a something to be bridged there. Even if you can show a bunch of data that says that validates what you just said. Um, and that's where I was saying earlier, liquidity keep continues to flow. Right. And I think that's part of what folks that don't spend their time in this space, you know, call it um, lower middle market software don't fully appreciate that, hey, there's, you know, there's PE chasing these assets earlier than they ever were. There's micro PE, there's platform plays, there's distressed buyers, there's venture, there's strategics, you know, there's family offices, there's searchers, there's a bunch yeah. of capital. And I do recall this, right? When we were raising money for our private equity deals, right? It was just me and a partner. And so we were micro PE, fundless sponsor, what do you want to call it? And, you know, you approach a variety of people, right? And this was SaaS in 2010, 2011, but a lot of the sociology of this is still the same, right? Where in our circles, our content circles, Substack, everyone's like, oh yeah, 7 million ARR, what oh, the thing's killing it. That's great. Yeah. And then you talk to someone who's like a telecom executive for a second. They're like, this is a tiny business. Like that's tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. it's, I, I can see some of the, the disconnect and the opportunity for you. And then just one last thing, both for like entrepreneurs, then I guess relating to the Bigfoot business models, you do not take any warrants. Of That's any right. Kind. Yeah. Never taken a warrant, um, both somewhat philosophical and back to the origin here of, Hey, look, we're going to provide some capital and we expect to be compensated for it. And, you know, we have to be, if we're going to go and run this business and run a P and L, but we're not here. We're your lender. Right. So back to preserve that equity for the folks that should have that equity to include yourself and your team. Um, so, yeah, we've never done that. And, you know, part of it is also just kind of, hey, look, our own business model and you can't eat warrants until you can. <laughs> so, you know. And I imagine it makes your like deployment cycle and transaction process so much easier. Right. I think so. Yeah, exactly. And especially in this maybe in this market environment, you know, there was a period of time, look, we, we lose deals and we're maybe a little bit higher on the, on the yield um, than someone who's going to have warrants in their return mix as a lender, you know, warrants were like viewed as nothing for the past few years. Right. <laughs> and I get, we get why, but I think maybe that's not necessarily the case anymore. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, you know, we've covered a good bit here. I want to give you an opportunity to plug yourself. Like, let's just say you want 
entrepreneurs to know where to find you if they're looking to raise money. Where can people find Brian Parks? Yeah, bigfootcap.com, um, calendly.com slash bigfoot. Brian Parks, comma CFA on LinkedIn is me. Uh, bigfootcapital.substack.com. So awesome. any of those, I mean, I think it's, uh, I love talking with operators, right? And, and seeing if we can be directly supportive with capital. And a lot of times that's not necessarily the case, but if we can, you know, make a new relationship and be indirectly supportive, that's always great too. Awesome. Well, we'll include all of that in the show notes. And uh, again, want to thank you for all the transparency and color into this area that's like very under discussed, right? We talk about like kind of like the Twitter ecosystem and there's no shortage of content on going from 100 million to 150 of ARR or the right. latest CARTA report on this or that. You hardly hear anyone ever talk about like the debt side of things. It's like this silent yeah, it's just kind of like, eh, uh, <laughs> not interesting, maybe. But I do think, you know, and again, I'll just wrap it with, we spent a lot of time educating, doing our part to try to educate, but I've got like 500, 200 followers and I think six people see my tweets. So I'm not doing it there. I'm not getting any, any lift there. But we've seen, you know, I think there's less of that required. And so I probably sit here and discount it. And it's like, are people already educated on this? But the fact is, no, they're not. And I do hear that. Um somewhat regularly. So I think it's, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm always happy to try to kind of spread the word and help, help people be informed. Yeah. I've picked up on it from like interactions I have with like some entrepreneurs who just contact me or, or know me of, oh, okay, you're kind of a private equity guy and I don't know anything about this debt stuff. Right. And it's, you, you can see it's a, a blank spot um, yeah. in the industry. So, well, look, this has been great. Um, We'll share all of your background, your upcoming survey uh, will be in the show notes. And uh, thank you again. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Matt.